This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the one and only Maya Culpa podcast, now on the Mighty Midas Touch Network. So look for the blue banner for all future episodes of our show. And thanks for being here. And now for the news. It was a lonely holiday for the disgraced former president. I mean, he spent Christmas amongst bedazzled sycophants waltzing around Mar-a-Lardo. Apparently, Melania was not on hand when his kids stopped by for... Well, an uncomfortable photo op. In pictures, Trump's youngest son, Barron, towers over him, and Don Jr. and Ivanka were there too, but not Eric. Since Eric's lousy performance at Trump's civil fraud trial, well, he's likely become persona non grata. I mean, Eric always has been the dumb one, but there's not a single picture of Donald where he doesn't look bored as hell. So, Donald did what he does best. He got on his fake Twitter account, a.k.a. Truth Social, and went after his enemies. He told Jack Smith, Joe Biden, and all who oppose him to rot in hell. A day later, without comment or context, he posted a word cloud that featured the words power and dictatorship. But the number one word was revenge. Then... He railed on Nikki Haley, calling her a bird brain because she's surging in the polls. And despite Steve Bannon's prediction that he'll eventually choose Haley as his running mate, Trump says that he and MAGA will never go for her, saying, and I quote, no loyalty, plenty of lies, which coincidentally is exactly Trump's MO, no loyalty and plenty of lies. So... You may be asking yourself, how does all this Yuletide negativity sit with his good, clean, Christian audience? Well, (laughs) they fucking love it. They eat it up and they beg for more. They literally can't get enough because they are all in the cult and Trump is their cult leader. At least he is for now. A couple of days after Christmas, it was reported that only one of Michigan's 16 fake electors had come to his senses and sat for an interview with State Attorney General Donna Nissel as she investigates the fake electors scheme in her state. The 77-year-old fake elector in question has told investigators that he regrets helping the efforts to steal the 2020 election for Trump and he feels betrayed by the GOP. (laughs) No shit. He told Nestle, and I quote, I can't overemphasize how once I read the information in the J6 transcripts, how upset I was that the legitimate process had not been followed. He'd never been an elector before and didn't know all the rules. Consequently, Nestle dropped all eight charges against him, including forgery and conspiracy counts. Now, just last week, we reported that Trump and RNC chair Ronna Romney McDaniel were both caught on tape pressuring Michigan election officials not to certify the count for Biden and telling them not to worry because they would provide lawyers to protect them. Well, you may remember I also said, I call bullshit. Then, just three days after that call, 
Trump reportedly summoned Michigan's GOP leadership to Washington for more arm twisting and threats. And now we find out that a fake elector has flipped. I mean, this should all be very bad news for Trump. But the Michigan GOP primary will take place February 27th before Attorney General Nessel's trial is completed. The legal aftermath of the last presidential election in Michigan will not be over before voting begins in the next one. So you see the problem? Voters will be going to the polls before the verdict is in and before all the facts are known. Now efforts to enforce the 14th Amendment in that state came to a halt Wednesday when the Michigan Supreme Court rejected the case to remove Trump from the 2024 ballot. And despite similar illegalities in slates of fake electors, Minnesota and Arizona have refused to kick Trump off their ballots too. 13 states have invoked the 14th Amendment to keep Trump off the ballot. But so far, only Colorado has succeeded. Now Trump has until the end of the year to appeal the Colorado ruling. And, as far as we know, the whole question of using the 14th Amendment to disqualify Trump will ultimately end up before the U.S. Supreme Court. And their ruling will answer the question for the entire country, once and for all. So the sooner they get to it, the better. Now, while Trump's legal teams are trying to run out the clock on all of the various court filings and the 91 felony counts that Trump, of course, racked up, I mean, he's out there on the campaign trail and on Truth Social, stoking violence and trying to turn the American people against the DOJ and the courts, against the rule of law, and of course, against the Constitution. And of course he is, because he's a fucking cult leader. But his endgame, his endgame is to become a dictator who no one will ever oppose for fear of retribution. And remember, the number one word in his word cloud? Let me bring it again. Revenge. Now, I often think, did he use that word revenge because it's the name of my book? Did he also turn around and use revenge? Because after that, I say how Donald Trump weaponized the United States Department of Justice against his critics? Something that Donald says regularly? I don't know. Seems awfully familiar. And now for the main event. Today, we welcome back my friend Lev Parnas to the show. Now, Lev is a Soviet-born businessman who, along with Rudy Kaludi, Drunken Giuliani, and Igor Fruman, played a central role in the campaign to pressure Ukraine to investigate Trump's political rivals, specifically Hunter Biden. Parnas was thrown into Trump's first impeachment drama, but he ended up working with federal prosecutors against Giuliani and the former president. Parnas served a 20-month sentence for campaign finance violation, for wire fraud, and false statement offenses. Lev's explosive new memoir, Trump First, How the President and His Associates Turned Their Backs on Me and My Family, is out now, and it promises to be a great read. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Lev, welcome back to the program, and most importantly, happy holidays. Are you still on home confinement right now? And if you wouldn't mind, catch
catch my audience up on how you fit into the whole Trump puzzle and what your life is like right now. Uh, Michael, thank God I'm already off uh, home confinement. I finished serving my sentence. I'm on now probation like yourself. Uh, I have three years probation. Um, so I'm out of the house getting around. Uh, but uh, I've been working on my book. Uh, and obviously I'm still entangled in the whole Trump uh drama because of uh, the Republicans now continue to push this false narrative, continue to push these, this, uh, this information and pursue this impeachment against uh, Joe Biden. So uh, I still, I'm still involved. <laughs> tell, 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 tell me a little bit about the book. Well, the book is called Shadow Diplomacy, and basically it goes into my whole experience in Trump world. Uh, I go into uh, not just what I personally was involved with, which uh, primarily was Ukraine uh, and also Venezuela and and some stuff to do with Turkey, but also stuff that I was privy to by being that fly on the wall uh, in meetings and in the uh, White House and in the, uh, you know, Trump International constantly and around different individuals. So basically I hold nothing back. Uh, one of the reasons I wrote the book uh, was to make sure to get the truth out. And now it's more important than ever, especially with this, this impeachment coming up, as everybody could see that the Republicans are doing everything they can in their power not to have me testify under oath uh, to be able to get the truth out. So I decided to make sure I put everything in the book just in case uh, they somehow figure out not to call witnesses again and not to get the testimony out. But the book will get everything out, the, the whole truth, what I would have testified if I get called to testify. Well, you know, it's interesting point because while the House is currently controlled by Republicans, it is very plausible that the Democrats will make the request to have you testify before, you know, a committee. And that request could easily be shot down by the chair. And of course, the chair is Republican controlled. So it's a very interesting, that's an interesting play. It actually put happened, it out Michael. in a book. Yeah, it actually to put happened. it out into the book and see whether or not that that would prevent them from wanting to call you. Well, you know, uh, I think they're uh, shitting bricks and they, uh, because they know my truth is going to come out. I mean, uh, they're, they, they know the book is coming out. Uh, I wrote the letter to Comer. Uh, Jamie Raskin actually had gone up one day uh, and asked them to subpoena me and Rudy Giuliani to testify and Comer and Jordan and everybody else voted to uh, stay the vote. So basically, you know, to vote on it later. Uh, you got to ask yourself, and all the American people have to ask themselves this one simple question. I mean, this whole Ukraine stuff, this whole Biden, this whole Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, the laptop, who was the main people involved in that from day one? Rudy Giuliani and Lev Parnas. Why, if Comer wants to get the truth out and get all the evidence, right. are you not going to call Rudy Giuliani and Lev Parnas to testify under oath in front of the whole world to get the whole truth out? Because they don't want the truth, Michael. <laughs> tell, tell me about them not wanting you know, the truth out, than right? Anybody. Of course. Yeah. So let's jump right. Let's just jump right back in here and talk about someone who you just <laughs> mentioned, someone you knew very, very well. In fact, when I used to see you with him. It used to make me nuts because, you know, I, I, I knew you before I knew that you yep. were even involved with, uh, with Rudy at all. And I've always felt that Rudy was a despicable um, human being. 
You know, and I'm not talking about when he was mayor of New York, um, you know, post 9-11. I'm talking about the need to use Trump, the intent to try to bring on anybody that he thought had influence so that he could regrow his failed Giuliani partners, right? So Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani, just filed for bankruptcy. And he's still trying to hide behind the big lie. Yep. In your opinion, as somebody who spent a ton, unfortunately, of time <laughs> with him, what's next for America's probably worst mayor? Forget about being America's top mayor, right? America's uh, sweetheart mayor. It's like America's worst mayor or former mayor. I mean, it's pretty simple, Michael. It's going to be prison bars. I mean, I call him, you know, you, you gave him a really good name, but you forgot to add one, Rico Rudy. You know, <laughs> Rico Rudy is uh, my favorite one. I mean, he's going to go down in history with uh, uh, a law that he basically perfected to take down the mafia and criminals. And he that same law is going to be used against him to take him down for his criminal activities. And one of the things you said 100% right, I mean, he sold his soul to be get that limelight back. Rudy needed that attention. After 2008 presidential run and when he lost, I mean, he started withering away. Yes, he made money, but to Rudy it was more, more than just money. That's what people never understood. He needed the limelight. He needed the attention. He needed to be the number one guy. And that's when Donald Trump comes into his orbit and they found each other. Yeah, but it's true because Trump didn't want to pay for legal services and Rudy wanted, as you stated, the spotlight. Nothing made Rudy more happy than seeing a, you know, just a slew of cameras outside, whether it was 100%. for him, for Trump or for anybody. But as things continued and Rudy started, because he also wanted to create a lifestyle, a pretty significant lifestyle for himself. He had three bodyguards yeah. that used to walk him around everywhere. I mean, he felt like the Pope of Greenwich Village. He'd have them take off his jacket, right? They would stand on the side. So who, the, who, the, who, the, who, does that, who does that remind you of? If you take a look, if you close your eyes and you picture the movie, who would have be doing that? A mob boss. Yeah, yeah. It's, exactly. <laughs> not, not, right. Or... or <laughs> Or, Don, or Donald, the exactly. way that he would get out and Keith Schiller would be there to hold his jacket yep. and to, he had a slew of people around him. But that's what Rudy wanted. The problem is that costs a lot of money. And as Rudy started to see the business dwindle and he wasn't getting what he thought was due him, right? And that was these big, gigantic contracts um, as a result you know, of the relationship with Donald. All of a sudden, he needed to step it up. And that's kind of like where you really came in. Yeah. Because you provided him the access to Ukraine uh, and specifically Ukraine, but also, you know, to other individuals as well. So for the way I always saw it, right, it was really a symbiotic relationship. You know, for you, you were able to get the access, but for him... He was able to get even more. Oh, he was able to get the access and the contract. 
And the money. I mean, listen, uh, since the first day me and Rudy started uh, hanging out together, I mean, we basically paid for all his bills. Either either was us through our company uh, that Igor funded or it was uh, through other oligarchs that were paying our expenses and then eventually paying his. Uh, not just Ukrainian or Russian. It was also American oligarchs that had it. You know, and I read in my book about very powerful uh, Republicans that uh, gave Rudy his jet to use and stuff like that because they needed... Uh, Rudy to do stuff for them with the president, with Trump at the time when it came to Venezuela. I mean, a lot of people don't understand and they just think about, you know, they look at the the last news cycle and see the last story and they talk about that and say, okay, that's so outrageous, egregious. But if you take a look at back, I mean, uh, the story just keeps going. Nothing changes. Just the the characters might change, but but the same ones involved are Rudy, Trump, John Solomon, Cash Patel, uh, Devin Nunes. I mean, you 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 get you know uh, uh, you get your uh, Ron Johnsons. You get your Combs. I mean, if you take a look, it's the same group of people. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, what I'm saying Matt Gates. It's the same group of people that are pushing the narrative. It's just a story. It could be today. It could be Ukraine. Tomorrow it could be impeachment. Tomorrow it could be the border. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying to you? Uh, it was long as they uh, 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 get information that fits their narrative. They don't vet the information. They don't care. As long as it fits, they need to keep it going. They need to keep the public confused. They don't want the truth out there. They just need to continue long enough until the elections happen so people could think about, oh, my God, Hunter Biden, the laptop. I mean, just think about it, Michael. We keep talking about Hunter Biden. He's never had a position in our administration. He's never held any office. He's not, you know, we hear more about Hunter Biden than we hear about Joe Biden. Like Hunter Biden's enemy number one. And if we took a look at history of majority of presidents and, that had kids, a lot of their kids had problems. Some had drug problems. Some, but you don't hear about it like that because it's usually uh, you, you, there's there's a common understanding that leave the kids alone. And this is where Trump and Giuliani just went all out and didn't care uh, who who was going to be the sacrificial lamb as long as they were able to keep Trump uh, in office. But you know, the thing that I never fully understood is everybody was talking about not even Hunter Biden for over two plus years, maybe even closer to three years, it was always about Hunter Biden's laptop. <laughs> and so far, because I've Googled this, <clears throat> so far, I actually, other than a porno flick, and I feel terrible, you know, because everybody yeah. knows somebody who's had or has um, a terrible drug addiction. And clearly, by Hunter's own admission, he had a tremendously rough go at it when it came to drugs. So what do you have? You have Hunter Biden completely fucked up on drugs with a prostitute or whoever the hell she was, right? That's what they got off of Hunter Biden's laptop. What else? But that's the whole key. What else did they no. get onto it? Now, I mean, you know, but it's all that everybody was talking about forever and ever and ever is this fucking laptop. I want to know what's on this laptop that Rudy to this day keeps talking about. Oh, wait, wait, you'll see. You'll see. There's a lot of information. Well, There's a lot of information well, that's their, that's, there, but you'll see. That's their famous yeah. line. I'm going to get you the information. I have it in the safe. Remember, it all started. I have an insurance policy. Sure. I'm going to get you sure. all the information. Even when he came out in his uh, the Shane Moss case where he was uh, basically getting this annihilated outside, he's talking about how wait till I get up on the stand and give you all the information. You're going to see. It's always the same tech that you're going to see, but that information never comes. 
you never see. Right. <laughs> and and the, and that's right. and that's the crazy part. But the interesting part I want to mention about the laptop, I don't want to go too much into it because hopefully I still am going to testify and I want to try to protect the, the integrity of uh, my answers. But I write about it in my book extensively, you know, that laptop was uh, talked about to us first in the beginning in March of 2019 by Ukrainians telling us that that laptop existed or actually a hard drive of a laptop existed. And then it was officially confirmed to us uh, by somebody that uh, uh, works very closely with Rudy and also uh, was involved in uh, getting Hunter Biden his job uh, with Burisma that validated that there was a, a laptop that Hunter Biden had that was taken by the uh, uh, the FSB and um, nobody knows. Uh, we definitely know there was a copy made, but we don't know if it was you know uh, messed with, if there was things put on, deleted. But there was uh, during one of Hunter's escapades, it was taken in Kazakhstan, and there were two copies made: one for. Uh, the FSB, which is the Russian intelligence, and the other one was for the owner of Burisma to be able to have certain compromise down the road on the vice president's son. But the interesting part about it is when we were in that meeting, Rudy Giuliani really went hard at Vitaly Proust and asked him, said, what is on that hard drive that, you know, we could use that we were talking about getting? And Vitaly told us, there's some, uh, you know, uh, not very nice pictures of him naked with girls. There's uh, him with a crack pipe. There's him taking drugs. I mean, all of that, you know, stuff that you're talking about, that it's unfortunate, but we all understand, and it's a very, uh, you know, sad situation. But Rudy goes back into him and says, okay, but what about, like, financial stuff, legal stuff? And the response was, no. There was no, like, really criminality. So when we were supposed to get that day when I got arrested, when I was going to Vienna to actually re retrieve the uh, hard drive that was supposed to be handed to us, it was supposed to only contain, you know, uh, very, pro you know, pictures, videos of him doing drugs and, you know, and sexual stuff. There was never any mention about any, you know, emails about criminality and transfers because that's what we were looking for. If it was there, believe me, that's what would have been spoken about, not some pictures of him doing drugs. And then all of a sudden when Rudy gets the hard drive and starts disseminating it to the New York Post and everybody else, there's all kinds of crazy shit on that hard drive, you know. So you you could make you could make sense of that and uh, common sense wise. Yeah, I mean I remember Rudy uh dropped the voice recording of Donald telling me to pay in cash when we were talking about Karen McDougal, which of course then he denied. And then I mean Rudy is just a you know the problem with Somebody like Rudy is when you're desperate, desperate people do stupid things. Oh, absolutely. Right? And Rudy, unfortunately, was desperate. And as I said, and he's stupid. Right. But I do want to ask you. So let's go back to your book for a second. First of all, it drops when? Uh, the official date we should be announcing this week. Uh, but the pre-sales uh, already dropped. Uh, it should drop in the next two, three weeks. But uh, the pre-sales are up already on my website, loveremembers.com. You could do the pre-orders, but it should be dropping next month sometime. Okay. So do this for my listeners. Because we've had some milestones. I mean, we're like over 180 million downloads wow. so far since I started this. Awesome. Right? Yeah, thank you very much. Wait, I'm going to take a bow right now. <laughs> so if you would, give to my listeners a little advance on who was the high-level Republican or in your book. Give us something like a, a nice little quip on the high-level Republican who did something for Rudy, whether it was let him fly on his plane or anything like that. 
give oh. give us like a uh, I'll give you like a little an tid- advanced yeah. quip. I'll give you a little yeah. uh, tidbit. So because my because you know, look, my mea culpa followers. They deserve it. Oh, they absolutely do. And because you, you've been great to me, Michael, and you're fighting the fight. I mean, your listeners do deserve it. So I'm going to give you a little bit. So it has to do with Venezuela. Uh, the name of the high-ranking Republican, his name was Harry Sargent. He used to be uh, – he's a billionaire out of South Florida. They used to uh, run, be the head of the RNC in 2008 when Charlie Chris was the governor of Florida and also Rudy was running for president. They were very close. At that time, he promised Rudy – uh, his position, uh, Florida, basically, we know Rudy lost Florida, their relationship kind of yep. tethered after that. Fast forwarded after Trump won, uh, this, uh, Republican, uh, was, uh, had his own context, as you could say it in the administration, like Bolton and others that he was trying to persuade Trump into certain things that had to do with Venezuela. Uh, when, uh, he realized that the main person that had Trump's ear at the time was Rudy Giuliani. Uh, that's when uh, he approached me and uh, through built a relationship through me uh, to basically get close to Rudy Giuliani. Uh, and I write extensively in the book where not just him, but also a consortium of uh, high-ranking Republicans like people in the super PAC, other congressmen, uh, uh, people that work in the CIA and other places together formed a team uh, that was working on a soft landing for Nicolas Maduro uh, to the extent that there was a phone call with Nicolas Maduro that Rudy then translated to the White House. I mean, so there, <laughs> there's a lot to it, but that's a, that's a story that has been touched on because when I got arrested, there was a, everything like kind of just, you know, was a million miles. So people never, uh, but when people read the book and understand that Ukraine was not just the only part, but what happened in Venezuela and the way <sighs> and why Maduro still in power and why we invaded, it didn't help with arms and why Guaido did what it do. I mean, uh, you, like I said, shadow diplomacy and, uh, uh, People will enjoy it and understand. And then, and I tell the you know I tell the Republicans also. I said, you need to read the book to understand the truth. I mean, to understand exactly what goes on. So no, no, they, no, no, they no. don't want. To. They, they don't want. They don't want. They don't want. They don't want. No, they don't want. They don't want the truth. They, they have their own yeah. version of the yeah. truth. I want to ask you: Do you cover anything in your book about Rudy's involvement with pardons uh, going back into 2020? I mean, uh, as far as pardon goes, I go a little bit into it as far as the conversations that he ha- that was privy to were uh, that he mentioned pardons. One was with Noel Dunphy uh, that we were in the Trump International. There was several others, uh, but I-, I was never privy to any of his actual pardon deal. So. Uh, there was nothing really to go into that except for just he never know, he uh, and you never brought it up you never spoke to him well you, you know, know because he, the problem he, with Rudy you know one of the big problems with Rudy is you know there's that expression uh, drunk lips sink ships and Rudy I don't have to tell you because you sat with him how many evenings watching him I mean he started with his Chardonnay you know early in the morning and then ends of course, with, yeah. by, right and it ends with the scotch or you know or the whiskey um, so you know he's consuming quite a bit of alcohol and again drunken lips sink ships did he ever get into it and just say hey lev you know well, that's also true. Yeah. hey lev you know by the way i was just contacted by this guy he wants my help he's looking for a pardon he's doing 20 years you know he's doing five years you know and so on any conversations like that and any of that talked about in the book because that's a topic that i can't tell you how many people have reached out to me 
yeah. over the course of the past two, three years, from the New York Times to yeah. the New York Magazine to Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, they all know that there was a slew of people involved in payment for pardons. So I'm just curious. So, yeah, so I mean, okay, so uh, uh, there is a, uh, one uh, situation I'll tell your viewers a little bit about. I mean, I've also been contacted by the Times, the Post. They all There's a story that is going to be written soon, uh, uh, and I do talk about my book. So basically, uh, Rudy never told me about the way you said it. There's a guy there, but he approached it in a different way, basically coming up to me, knowing my background, I, where I came from Brooklyn, and knowing I knew a lot of different people. He would come and say to me and Igor stuff like, you know, uh, if you know anybody that needs help, anybody that needs a pardon, anybody, you know, for the right price, I could make it happen, you know, my connections. So he, he would make that uh, mention several times uh, uh, going back to uh, 2000. You know, summertime of 2019, prior to my arrest. So, you know, uh, those type of conversation. But then going forward, uh, after I got arrested and I started serving time in Otisville, a place me and you used to call home, Michael. <laughs> yep. no, By the way, which cube? Which which cubicle were you? Uh, I was 21. Oh, well, you're on the other yeah, side. Yeah, the other side. <laughs> we spoke. So anyway, so. Um, there was a another inmate that was serving time. I'm not going to mention his name, uh, but he was a lawyer. He was a lawyer for uh, a Republican congressman out in California that got convicted uh, of a crime. Uh, uh, his name is Duncan, so that the gentleman, so we know who we're talking about. And then Trump pardoned him. And when we were having debates inside, because at first, you know, I came in and he knew who I was and he was trying to explain because he was a hardcore Trumper. You know, he he was a he actually wrote the petition for the pardon for Hunter Duncan or Duncan Hunter, whatever his name is. And uh, basically at the uh, after uh, various conversations, he finally uh, broke down and told me that uh, Rudy Giuliani was the one that got him the pardon. So I don't know exactly the financial status. But he didn't pay for it. Well, this guy, well, this guy didn't have the money to pay Rudy. Well, I don't know. You know I do because I don't know if he maybe, paid or he didn't. Right. Because uh, 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 the way he told me is, without Rudy, he wouldn't have got it done. Basically, and and I understood and I knew and Rudy needed the money. So maybe it wasn't the two million that has been floated around. But with Rudy, you know, he would have done, could have done it for a couple hundred thousand also. You know? When Kaludi asked you if you knew anybody that needed pardons, did he say? give you a ballpark on what he was going to ask or he just asked you to connect them to him uh, yeah, without we, we discussing never spoke about dollars, dollar right? amounts i don't i don't remember yeah that. maybe we did maybe it was floated but i don't recall uh, so i don't want to put out a number out there because i don't recall him talking about actually it was more in general that if you know anybody that for the i remember definitely him saying for the right price i could get, right yeah, sure. get it done so let me ask you this then because according to one of giuliani's assistants Trump and Giuliani were discussing their plan to claim voter fraud going back to 2019. Oh, absolutely. Even before, even before the, right, even before the, uh, the election. And of course, Jack Smith has Trump, you know, repeated his bogus, the election was rigged bullshit multiple times going back for years. What, in your opinion, is the biggest smoking gun evidence that you think that they have in the D.C. election fraud case? Mark Meadows. 
<laughs> I think Mark Meadows at the end of the day is going to put Trump away. I mean, he know. I mean, especially with with everything. I mean, him, him losing all of his appeals and now facing some serious problems in Georgia. He's now scrambling to figure out how he could get a universal plea deal because he's already, you know, uh, uh, spoke a little bit to. He knows that they know what he knows and that he was involved, in, especially now uh, with this information that disappeared uh, three years ago that they've been looking at that has to do with white uh, Russian intelligence sources. Last two people. People that had it was Trump and Mark Meadows. So uh, I think I th- well, listen. Me and you both know how the DOJ works, and right now the the whole power of the world of the DOJ is on this case with Smith. So I'm sure they have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of powerful testimony and witnesses that we have yet to see. And some of them are going to be inside. The ones that are going to bury Trump are his own insiders, the, the Republicans that have worked him, not Democrats, not people, but people that were with him and the inside that knew exactly what was going on. So I think Mark Meadows. And what about, by the way, what about Jared with the pardons? Did Rudy ever bring up Jared or did Rudy ever bring up um, Jared with you as related to, you know, going back to this voter fraud bullshit? Uh, not so much. Well, the voter fraud, uh, we, uh, we didn't discuss voter fraud as much, uh, uh, but we did discuss Rudy would constantly starting in the summer of 2019, uh, start bringing up more and more that, you know, there's no way, the only way Trump could lose is if they do some kind of fraud. The only way Trump, there's no way he's leaving office. We're not going to give it up. So there was already th- those type of conversations starting in 2019, uh, when we would get together and everybody would be ho ho for like, you know, that uh, no matter what. Trump is not going to give it up, and the only way he could lose is if there was some sort of fraud going on. Yeah, but I, but again, you know, one of the big issues that I constantly bring up is Jared being the secretary of everything, <laughs> and he was. Look, you know, he got there. Ivanka was masterful in the manipulation of Daddy. M- masterful. <laughs> Anything that was going on, Ivanka would say to her father. Yeah, that's something Jared should be handling. Everything was Jared, Jared, Jared. Ultimately, what would happen is it just gets ingrained. I don't have to tell you. The last thing in Donald's ear is the only thing that he remembers. So if it's Jared's name, yeah, give it to Jared. Jared will handle it. I mean, Jared was responsible somehow taking (laughs) over, for example, the pardon office. But he was also took over Middle East peace. I mean, it's amazing that somebody with no experience in anything manages to be at the helm of everything. Rudy ever mentioned Jared? Hey, yeah, I'm going to need to, on this one, we have to speak to Jared. We need to clear it through Jared first. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, n- not really. Actually, Rudy, I think, was in competition for Trump's ear with Jared. Uh, <laughs> Rudy was more in like, you know, uh, looking at Jared was, as a snot-nosed kid that really didn't know what was going on and uh, didn't want him in Trump's ear as much, you know, stay away. So Rudy wanted to keep that attention to himself, uh, primary. So there was not, as far as, you know, Jared, maybe jealousy, maybe, you know, as far as having the attention, but as far as that, but, you know, you're saying uh, Jared with no experience and Trump, gave. what are you surprised, Michael? Look, look at me. What experience did I have running around all of Europe, giving messages to presidents of the, from withholding aid and all of that, you know, basically being your for, you know, foreign diplomacy minister of some sorts with no, I mean, just think about it. So it didn't matter who, as long as Trump uh, thought that you could benefit, then he didn't care. He didn't look at your pedigree if you 
were well that he could benefit <laughs> right if, and, as long you know, as he and that you were willing him, and you were willing sure, to and that do you were whatever. willing to put your ass on the line for him absolutely so just think about that if he was willing to let put a guy like me that had no experience no background in foreign diplomacy to run around put a guy like jared in there that has no experience put a guy like rudy in there that is drunk half the time think about who he's going to put in if god forbid he gets into office now and that's the scary part. The administration yeah. would look like the who's who of crazies out there. And the best, I mean, it would just be a total shit show because nobody normal would ever go work with him. Nobody normal can work with him. So just think well, about how him. do you think Mike Pence? How do you think Mike Pence became vice president? The number of people <laughs> exactly. that ended that, up saying, right, yeah, I remember. don't think so. Especially exactly. at that time, Donald had like less than a 2% chance yeah. that he was going to win. But since you bring up, again, as I constantly do, Rudy and his drinking and being a drunk, is it possible that Rudy has become so much of a drunk that he has actually, like, lost the thread? Meaning, you think he believes the the bullshit that he says? Well, look, first of all, he's a functional alcoholic. Let's call it what it is. I mean, he drinks every day. You know, uh, every day I've been with him, you know, the, there was not one day that he did not drink, you know, and drink heavily. You know what I'm saying to you? So uh, he's a functional alcoholic because he's then able to still continue waking up in the morning and going doing these shows. And even a lot of the shows he was on, he was actually right off having a couple. Well, of we know he was know, drunk for many of them. And then goes on yeah. the show. So, yeah, as far as him believing in his own bullshit. I think for Rudy, this this is it. I mean, you know, like I said, he he needs that bad news or good news. Uh, he wants to be on TV. He wants to be talked about. He wants to be the center of attention. It doesn't matter what's going on. He wants to be the center of attention. As far as uh, the drinking, I mean, it's like a, anything else, any drug. I mean, it, it uh, basically makes it even stronger. It makes you believe you're... Right, you know, but do it, you... But, but what's that, Leb? Yeah. Do you think he actually believes his own bullshit no, and the he bullshit knows the that he's he spewing? Knows the truth. Uh, he knows the truth. He knows, he knows the, the truth. truth. No, he knows the yeah. truth. He know, look, when it comes to Joe Biden, he was just so obsessed with Joe Biden and putting him away that he was blinded by the truth. He, he, would, he didn't want to see the facts. Uh, circumstantial evidence was good enough for him, basically. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? He would shut his eyes on the truth. And a lot of, you know, we know that for a fact. There's a lot of police officers, FBI agents that do the same thing. You know, they find a suspect, they want to get him, and they disregard anything that might look to be able to be, you know, positive towards his favor and they put him away. And that's why we know we have a lot of, you know, people in prisons today that are not, that shouldn't belong there because they're innocent. And that just right, shows. But, but in all fairness, love, they're not drunk. They're just drunk with the power and they're drunk with the conviction. Right. You know, like I say Rudy all the time, the Southern District of New York. I mean, I attacked them, you know, uh, vociferously uh, in terms of the way that they handled my entire case of you know, 48 hours to either plead guilty or have an 80-page indictment filed against me that was going to include my wife, right? right? I mean, you know, first of all, nobody should be, nobody should behave like that. In fact, Judge Jed Rakoff in his book, Why the Innocent Plead Guilty and the Guilty Go Free, I think is a must read, you know, for everyone, very much like I'm going to tell everyone your book is a must read. If you want to know the truth, they don't care about prosecuting at least at the Southern District level. The Southern District of New York, they have waived the entire purpose of what is called being a prosecutor, and that's to prosecute. They don't give a fuck about that. All they care about, like this Nick Roos, 
or the former Tom McKay or Andrea Griswold or even Jeffrey Berman, who was the Jeffrey head, Berman, who wrote yeah. in his own his, book. Yeah. In his own book, a guy who recused himself was staying active in the case. All they care about is their conviction rate. In that way, they can turn around, they could use it to to continue with that conviction rate, to do the least amount of work that they have to do, but more importantly, so that they can get the seven-figure jobs at like the Lowenstein, Sandler's, the Boyce, you know, the Mavillo law firm, and so on. They get these seven-figure jobs, McDermott, Will, and Emery. I mean, you know, Guggenheim Partners, None of them have any fucking abilities. They're, they're just a bunch of bullies with a badge and they know how to use the power. You know, and you know who created that? That whole ideology, that whole power struggle? Rudy. <laughs> yeah. When, when he, he was, was the head of the, the Southern District of New York. That's 100%. Yeah. Win and win at any cost. Get the convention, get, get the conviction, get the numbers. Doesn't matter. You know, I, I agree with you 100%. And that's, he used that same attitude and same conviction towards going after Joe Biden and Hunter Biden in Ukraine. And, and win at any you, cost. It didn't matter what it was. Why, why do you think I can't get my FOIA documents, right? Because every single one of them will show that these folks are absolutely corrupt, and you're 100% right. We saw last week alone five individuals, five, who were released from prison after spending decades, decades. there. Decades. Because of, because of false, and f- pardon the, the expression, but trumped up charges by dirty prosecutors yep. and dirty attorney generals. Yep. And in my case... I have a dirty attorney general, too. I'm talking about Bill Barr. Bill Barr, absolutely, 100%. And I've always asked you, if you you had heard that this was going to happen to me, if if it ever spilled out in front, and I'm just dying, dying for the documents to ultimately be released. In fact, the whole country should want Me too, same thing with my case. I mean, I guarantee you, I mean, when when the uh, documents and we requested the judge to, we wanted to depose Bill Barr and the judge, the, the guy, because he was... What, what was the reasoning for my arrest when they did it? Because think about it. And, and the crazy part is right now, the New York Times has, has just won a case and Judge Atkin released uh, my sealed uh, warrant uh, documents. So now it's coming We're going to get to that. Yeah, and it's we're coming. Gonna, exactly. We're going to get to that. Okay, uh-huh. so I'll, I'll wait. But it's coming out in the public. It's interesting to see which way they were going. They were more worried about some cannabis case in Vegas that had not had nothing. To, I mean, if you really take a look at it, anybody really take a look at one of my convictions, that supposedly I gave Adam Laxalt ten thousand dollars to get me a license—an uh, impossible thing that he could not do—a license of cannabis. And that was just make it simply. Uh, that they were more concerned about that than uh, what was going on in Ukraine. They, they didn't want to listen to me. They thought I was telling him lies when I was telling about Bill Barr and Rudy and everything. Everything I was telling him that now we all know is true and came to fruition. They didn't want to hear, listen when they they wanted to hear. So you know what? Let's let's bring that up. Let's bring that because. Obviously, as you just said, that there's recently been this unsealed warrant, um, you know, regarding you that includes a whole bunch of a whole bunch of revelations about the Ukrainian scandal. Yep. What are you actually at liberty to say about it? Is there anything that you could tell us that's different than what we've read so far in the paper, which really isn't a lot? Uh, let's do this, Michael. I just want to be careful because, again, with the impeachment happening right now and with uh, me being one of the focal witnesses that might be able to clear these things up, I don't want to uh, – but I promise you that uh, as soon as uh, the uh, whatever 
happens with the impeachment said or done or or the book comes out prior to it, I will make sure I will be on your show first and I will discuss this, uh, uh, a lot of those revelations and we'll go deep into them. I just got to be careful. I want to make sure that, you know, then, oh, the, then the Republicans can use it against uh, the truth and say, oh, he's, you know, out there saying this and that because look you know how many times that yeah how many times media tried to get me to talk about for example my grand jury testimony or during the 23 times that i met with the manhattan district attorney and then they wanted to start with the you know after tish james credited me on the new york attorney general case well what did you give her what did you tell her and so on so you know what we could discuss it after the trial and so on. And, you know, because I, like you, I want to protect the integrity. But I have a funny feeling they're not going to call you. I have a funny feeling that you're not going to get called as a witness um, in this case. Because one thing for certain, they don't want you in front of the cameras, maybe they'll do it behind closed doors. And I would certainly recommend to you very much the same way that um, Hunter Biden did it. You come out there and you say, I'll do it, but I want the truth to be known. I want the information to be, I want it to be transparent for the American people so that all of you fuckers can't, at the break, go running with your cell phones to your media contact and misstate things or try to, you know, create a narrative that is different than the narrative that, you know, that you did. Remember, I did seven congressional hearings. Seven. People are like, when I tell them that, they're like, what? No, you didn't. You did one. Uh... I did seven congressional hearings, each one like eight, nine hours at a clip. The only reason people know the one is because it was live. And that was only because, rest in, rest in his soul, Congressman Elijah Cummings decided he wanted to make it public. In fact, I didn't want it to be public. I was happy just doing it behind closed doors. But he was adamant that transparency to the American people needed to occur. And he said, because it's going to be public, just know that there are many. And when I say many, I'm basically referring to the entire Republican caucus that are going to attack you and attack you with everything that they got. They're going to say the most despicable things, they're going to castigate you, right? They're going to have their five minutes of clips that they could then show to their supporters in order to raise money. He goes, it's not going to be easy. And I, <laughs> he called me afterwards after the whole thing was over. And he, you know, how are you? He goes, I told you it wasn't going to be easy. I said to him, you know, Shh. you're right. It wasn't <laughs> oh, yeah. easy. It was more like a fucking ass beating. But, right. you know, I feel... <laughs> thankful that it was public and i'm with you on that michael and i said the same thing and that's why i wrote the letter to comer i said you know it's not about how i'm going to look and i don't care about myself the the, the fact of the matter is i want to be up there and tell the truth and they could you know go up there and you know play their games and say it. but one thing they can't do is debate the facts and debate the truth and the public will see that and that's the most important thing not about well, the stories they're gonna you know yeah lev let me be so let me be clear about something 
the public will only see the truth the way that the public wants to see Correct. the truth. Unfortunately, we're not in a place anymore in this country where, you know, like in the old days you had uh, like Walter Cronkite. Oh, if yeah, Walter no. Cronkite told you something it was, it was or, fact, Barbara right? Walters, or Barbara Walters, you were like, that. yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. You're right. Yeah, that's it's that's probably it's actually accurate. And so on today you could you could tell a MAGA diehard and show them the proof. Donald himself can come out and tell them the truth. But if it opposes their belief or what they want to believe, they ignore it and they go right back to their talking points. Yep. I did want to ask you something but before I started jumping into that whole warrant thing. I want to go back to Rudy for a second. You think Rudy's flipped on Trump or not? No. And do you think that he ever will? No. I said it from day one. Uh, first of all, he's uh, uh, too much involved. He's uh, just as involved as Trump is for him to flip. <laughs> if, if, if Trump wasn't president and Rudy wasn't, and you take their titles out and just two regular guys, they would be co- uh, uh, identically uh, involved in the in the crime. So uh, that's first of all. So I don't think uh, – uh, uh, the prosecutors want would I don't think there would be any type of deal that would formulate where they would just let Rudy off the hook completely with everything that he was involved with and how he was a part of it. And I don't think for Rudy uh, uh, there is no there's no way out. Basically, I mean it's like the guy that's in the mafia that has no other thing. His whole family, his wife, his kids, his parents, everything's part of the mafia. And if he turns on the mafia, he has no life. And that's where Rudy is. I mean, his whole life is Trump. His whole life is the mega yeah, base. But he right doesn't want to. But Lev, he doesn't want to spend. But he his doesn't final think he's going years. to. Jail. He doesn't believe that. Still, he still nah, thinks Trump is. He, gonna... kn- he knows. You think so? You think that he thinks that Trump's going to win and that Trump will pardon him or commute his sentence? No, but I think uh, I think he definitely thinks that Trump is going to win. In his crazy brain brain of his, he thinks that Trump will come to his, you know, rescue. Even though it may be deep downside, he might not believe it, but he does believe it. Uh, he used to believe it when we were there. Even though Trump would shit on all over him, he would still close his eyes and follow him like a little kid. So I still believe that he definitely believes that. But I also think that. He believes that he is uh, he his own shit so much that he believes that he's going to show the world that this case, this whole Georgia thing, is going to be toward for their advantage. I don't think he's looking at it right now, uh, where that's it. You know, jail time. The closer he gets to it, when trial comes, you know, reality's going to start uh-huh. setting in. You know, I know. You know, the closer it comes down to it, reality. But right now, it's still same too far. for Trump. Yeah, yep. for same thing with Trump. Exactly, they're too far. Right now, I don't think jail or prison is even anywhere on the radar. I think it's still a matter of it's us against you. Uh, but at some point, very soon, once they're sitting in, in that defendant chair and in front of that judge and they see that, you know, now it's not, you know, financial anymore. Now your life is on, on the line and you might be going away. Mm-hmm. Things are going to, you know, change in, in that. But, I, but again, I think he's too deep in. Uh, uh, I, don't th- I don't think he'll, I have said from day one, he's, he's going to go down with the ship. Uh, he'll be that guy sitting in prison in the corner where people will walk around and say, he, you remember that guy? He used to be, and you know, he'll be talking about how the election was stolen and doing shit like that. You know, we've seen those in prison. Yeah, well, yeah, while eating, while eating shit food, you know, exactly. or, or something from the commissary. So let me ask you this, since we're talking about all of these upcoming trials and so on. Are you being called as a witness in any of Trump or Giuliani's upcoming trials? Or have they deposed you in any of these cases? 
Well, there's one case, a defamation case uh, against Giuliani that I've been told that I'm probably going to be a witness to. Uh, as far as the which case is that? The Noel Dunphy. Uh-huh. The, the Dunphy case. Uh, as far as the criminal cases that are going on, the four cases, uh, no, because uh, major uh, all of those charges have to do with things after the fact. Uh, I was, uh, you know, uh, won't mention names, but in touch with certain people discussing because I know there were certain pe- uh, uh, people in some of those cases that were interested in Rudy's drinking, which I've spoken to about. Uh, but that that's about to that extent. So then, let me ask you this. I remember, and I don't exactly remember the sum and substance of the tape, so hopefully you'll be able to remind my audience, and me for that matter. There was a famous Trump tape um, from April 30th of 2018 that took place at Trump International. What was Trump talking about, and why did the House Intelligence Committee ultimately wind up with it? And more importantly, what the hell are they going to do with it? Well, that tape was uh, <laughs> so uh, it was a private dinner that the super PAC held for Trump and six of his top donors uh, that donated a million dollars or more to his super PAC and they were part of his inner circle. Uh, me and Igor happened to be one of the uh, those two that were invited to that dinner. Uh, primarily, when we're, we were going to that dinner, uh, the intention of the dinner was uh, my intentions were to speak about cannabis. Uh, I put together a package that I wanted to, you know, push Trump on as far as, you know, having him switch his opinion towards cannabis and legalizing it. Uh, prior to entering uh, the uh, the room, I was approached by uh, Joe Ahern from the Super PAC. And, you know, I write about this in the book extensively, but I'll give you a little quicker where they basically came to me and uh, told me that uh, they told Trump that I was from Ukraine, you know, that I had also an oil and gas business that we were trying to start up and that uh, if Ukraine comes up on the subject they wanted me like to speak about um so when we were at dinner uh, unbeknownst to me at the time uh igor my partner because of <laughs> uh his relationships with very powerful people in ukraine uh, uh he was trying to promote that he had access to uh trump and giuliani and to be able to further his businesses over there and because his businesses were primarily entertainment uh nobody believed that he was actually there even though he would show pictures at rallies and stuff like that so he decided to start taping uh, private conversations to be able to sh- show them that, you know, here I am sitting talking to the president at dinner. So what about that to show uh, relevance? Uh, so he taped the conversation. And that was, I mean, you know, I mean, how do you, the president, you know, they didn't, nobody took our phones. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, I mean, there was like, you know, just come in, everybody sat down like it was a dinner that me and you would go to with our wives, you know what I'm saying to you. And here we are. I mean, but nobody, not, right, they're not thinking about taking your phones, Lev. It's crazy. You know, because nobody's expecting the president is going to sit there and talk about, you know, how to pressure the Ukrainian government about, you know, um, going after a political opponent. I guess to the same extent that you wouldn't expect that there's going to be recordings uh, between, say, Trump and Bill Barr about unconstitutionally remanding a U.S. citizen back to prison because he refuses to waive his First Amendment constitutional right. No other president does this. Now, with Trump, and if, God forbid, a million times he becomes president again, I promise you, all phones will be confiscated oh, yeah. at the door, uh, yeah, right? There will, there will not be any additional uh, phones permitted I at agree. any of these because what it's really shown is that everybody 
was taping Donald. Yeah, I mean, even Everyone. even just now the tapes in Michigan. <laughs> came yeah, I mean, yeah, no, so yeah, so. Uh, and then going back to that dinner, uh, while he was taping, we started sitting there talking and, uh, like, like they told me the subject of Ukraine comes up, uh, I was sitting right across from him and he looked at me and basically started asking me questions about Ukraine. Uh, at that point I told him what I heard from different people in Ukraine and different stories. And the one that was going around that was, uh, primarily on everybody's mind in, in mega world was that the ambassador of Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich was somebody that was disloyal to Trump somebody that was a George Soros plan, somebody that basically wouldn't hang his picture. Well, this is the key part. It, that's what got him the most. That's when he made the come and get rid of her. Is that, you know, I told him, you know, that she talked about you getting impeached and everything. She wouldn't. And then I said, she wouldn't even hang a picture of you on a picture of you on the wall. And you should see his whole face, Michael. And you probably would understand. You've seen him. His whole, oh, his whole understand. demeanor changed. He looked and looked over to the Stefano that was sitting over there. He said, get rid of her get rid of her now. Get, and, and we were all stunned. We were all sitting there like, you know, looking at this and, you know, uh, then he w continued going to the, into the more conversation about Ukraine. Uh, it was crazy to realize that he had at that point, you know, I didn't understand. I didn't know Donald as well as you knew Donald at the time. So at that point I still thought that he was a very smart, you know, to be a guy to be able to get where he was. And then when, uh, the subject of oil in Ukraine came up, he looked at me and said, Ukraine has oil. And I thought to myself at that moment, are you fucking kidding me? Like, uh, you know, <laughs> so, so yeah. So at that point, uh, Donald Trump didn't even, you know, probably even know where Ukraine was on the map. Uh, if you were to point it out, if you would have asked him to point it out, he had no clue what was going on. He was more interested at that point because of the Mueller investigation to, uh, because he was worried that it was the Ukrainians that were framing the Russians that actually interfered, that they stole the DNC servers, that they were over there, that, the, you know, that they framed, uh, Paul Manafort, you know what I'm saying to you with the black ledger, you know, and that was what was really, uh, uh, on all of the mega world and the Trump or so it was, you know, uh, throw Ukraine under the bus, uh, uh to save Russia's behind because it would save their own asses. Yeah. Well, look, since you're so connected into Ukraine, I want to ask you, do you have any updates on what's really going on over there? Um, sure. Is Ukraine still able to defend itself against Russia without the funding from the United States? I mean, give us the update that you're sure. hearing from friends that are still there and obviously fighting the good fight. Oh, absolutely, Michael. I'm very close with Ukraine. Uh, people in the administration still there and lots of, you know, I still have family and friends there uh, that we continuously do, you know, work, uh, try to help with uh, whatever we can. So the situation is right now they still, they do have the weapon there because even though Congress, you know, hasn't given them the money, it takes time. So, I mean, what, what what's happening now, this uh, delay that we're seeing is going to come into effect maybe two, three months from now. Uh, because it takes some time because right now they're still actually on the attack and uh, aggressively uh, attacking Russia. You know, I think yesterday they attacked uh, a, boat, a ship, a Russian ship in Crimea. Mm -hmm. So Ukraine is, uh, again, obviously with our help, with the United States help, continuously giving them the funds and everything. I truly believe that we will, they will destroy this monster in Putin and they will be able to get their sovereignty back and get their country back, uh, uh, you know, to eventually when they rebuild. If God forbid this funding gets frozen and or it, or it starts stopping it, 
depending on who wins uh, the presidency and depending on how this Congress reacts to it, uh, we will see massive, massive, massive destruction in Ukraine uh, because once their ability and their ammunition will end, as we know, Russia has unlimited sources because of, you know, they're, they've put in manufacturing in place and are pumping out all ammunition and everything they can, which Ukraine is not doing because Ukraine is just, you know, looking to us and the West to be able to supply them. So if that stops, uh, I truly believe that we will have a catastrophe in, in, the, uh, in Eastern Europe and that will hurt the whole world. So let me ask you this, because, you know, again, there's so much misinformation and propaganda that's coming out of I don't even know really truthfully from where but it certainly comes out and it comes out with this like this massive force I read an article somewhere that Volodymyr Zelensky's wife Mrs. Zelensky went to a jewelry store here in New York and bought a million dollars in one clip of jewelry. It was either like a Tiffany or a Cartier. It was something like that. Is there any truth to that or is that a lie? I mean, I, and if so, I do really would I would like to know as would probably everybody where the million dollars come from. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And and this is a, that's a great question and that's where like you see the disinformation how they block things up because everybody assumes a majority of people in the United States because there's a war because Zelensky was a president that he's poor or you know where's his salary or anything but you got to understand Zelensky was a multi 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 millionaire be- before he became a president. Zelensky was one of the most famous uh, comics actors, had one of the most uh, uh, biggest shows movies i mean he was you know i don't know what his value was but i could probably tell you it was way well over 50 or 100 million dollars before Zelensky became even president so when Zelensky, yeah so when the money comes as he has money i mean the guy is a very wealthy individual uh could that story be true michael absolutely i mean i wouldn't put it past you know uh, uh you know somebody in his stature to spend a million dollars on jewelry or buy a 20 million dollar house or you know just like any other person in that capability could do so Zelensky is not a poor individual as a uh, so you know because you know how they were making it sound. yeah that he's using US like funds he's stealing, <laughs> he's stealing money from the US that. that's and supposed that's, to go correct. for aid and and support correct. to the Ukrainian people um and he's using it for himself and to you know buy his wife lavish gifts so correct and that's and that's how the mega world puts it you know they don't tell you the background they make it look like oh here's a picture of this worn torn country the president of there and he and then here's his wife buying a 20 million dollar house or something like that but then take a look at donald trump (laughs) i mean you know i'm saying to you or you know so it's just but donald makes it clear that he's on the grift yeah i mean when he himself will say that 90 percent of all funds that come into his super PAC he could use at his own discretion. He could buy if he wanted to, you know, Melania yeah. or whoever the next, you know, future <laughs> Mrs. Trump is going to be, right? Um, <laughs> we all know who's vying for that role right now. Uh, you know, he could buy her whatever the hell he wants with that money, and it would not be improper because he has the right to do it. But you brought something up which I thought was interesting. You know, obviously, all the members of Congress are off for the holiday, right? But Republicans before leaving, held up the aid to Ukraine, right, before deciding, right, to leave on the Christmas break. That's crazy. To the best of your knowledge, how many and who are the Republicans 
that are being subsidized, or should I really say on the take, by Russia. Because this was bullshit. I mean, as far as I'm yeah. concerned, this is their fucking job. If Lev, if you worked for me in whatever the business can be, making widgets, and we had an order that needed to be filled, and you're like, well, you know, I'm taking off for, for Christmas and so on. Fuck that. We'll take, we'll, Find a different job when you come back. Well, take a look at who are the main two culprits that are pushing this whole stop funding Ukraine more than anybody else. Uh, that, and there are two people that are very loyal to Donald Trump. That's Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And they're the catalyst, I mean, and all the mayhem that goes on in the Congress right now. I mean, just think, look what they did with McCarthy. Matt Gates put him in, took him out. You know what I'm saying to you? <laughs> like they were, you know, same thing here. I would definitely would love to take a look at, uh, uh, you know, uh, the money that comes into Marjorie Green super PACs and some of that, the chain of money. Because if you take a look at her propaganda talking points and Russia spewing, uh, you know, that's somebody that's, Really, really pushing some points that don't even make sense, uh, even for the you know crazy, craziest mega cultists. You know what I mean? So I would definitely take a look at the funding she's getting and where it's coming from, and and how she's get financing her campaigns. But she's the pretty big, uh, loudest mouth with Matt Gates on trying to shut Ukraine down. And then you take a look at Trump. They uh, come out and say, oh, he'd end the war in you know twenty four hours. Twenty four hours. Yeah. So think about how is he how is he going to end it? Yeah, exactly. Tell Zelensky that you have to do whatever Putin says and move on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the plan would be, obviously, he wouldn't give up all of Ukraine because people say, oh, no, he would make, he would, the way he would do it is he would basically stop it and let uh, Russia take whatever they have right now. And then uh, promise Russia that later on you'll take some more. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. Right. He's and, not you know, stopping. Right now, he's, it's not that, you know, he would, uh, but that's the only way. So, yeah. So, so look, Lev. It's obviously, it's an election year. We're coming up, right? 2024, we have the election. Crazy year. And like me, you are a very outspoken critic of the former president. So my question to you is, what's your plan for 2024? What do you expect that you're going to be doing to help stop Trump? And more importantly, Trumpism from getting back into the White House. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for asking, Michael. I mean, uh, first of all, I have the book coming out that's going to be able to uh, document and, and I put the receipts in there with like text messages, pictures, videos, because I know some of the stories are so crazy to hear. You can't believe it until you really see the text message back and forth or the email or the actual pictures to and you say, wow, that actually happened. So the book uh, also uh, there's a documentary that's coming out uh closer towards uh, the election called uh, From Russia With Love uh, that's going to also outline and detail a lot of stuff that's going on and keep the awareness. Uh, the most important thing is to keep the awareness of uh, till the very last day of election, till the people go into that poll and uh, to elections and to start voting until the last day to keep the awareness up about who Donald Trump is. Uh, because right now, a lot of the major majority of the country that are going to come out and vote are not even thinking about it. Uh, it's not people like us or people on the Twitter spaces or that are, you know, heavily involved and are constantly watching TV all day of news and uh, being outspoken. Majority of the country are going to work worried about their health problems, how to pay their bills or how to get out to the next day. And when it comes to election, it usually spurs up 
a month or two right prior to that's when the push is on and everything happens. And that's where it's going to be the most important time is to be able to keep the awareness on where you need to make your push and continuously keep that, uh, you know, your voice being heard. I'm going to do the same thing, you know, from the book, the, uh, the podcast that I'm, I'm about to start and doing whatever else possible with any other organization out there to be able to save our democracy, to go out and do speaking arrangements, constantly, you know, television appearances, and to be able to keep getting the truth out and keep, be, be, get, keep getting people aware of the monster that, and the problem that could possibly happen in our world if this guy actually has comes anywhere close. Forget about getting into the White House, coming anywhere close to the White House. So let me then ask you the final question because the hour goes by quick here on Maya Culpa, especially when you and I are yeah, you know, in our uh, in our you know usual rant. Do you think that Trump, Giuliani, Mike Flynn, or any of those guys, you think any of them will ever actually do jail time, or do you think it's just Guys like you and me, right, who end up going to jail. Well, we went to prison, right, because we supported them. You think they'll ever get the big guys? Look, you see guys from the January 6th insurrection, 20 fucking years. Do you see any of the major players? What about the members of Congress that walked them in the day before and gave them the outline? They're wiping their faces out on the video to make sure that to keep their privacy. (laughs) Right. So you think any of these fuckers will go to prison? You know, the, the crazy part, uh, you're 100% right. Usually it's guys like us that end up holding the bag for these guys. But you know what? With this Georgia case, and uh, I really, truly believe, you know, as far as Trump goes, I mean, anything is possible. I truly believe he deserves to go to prison. I believe that they will put him in prison. I believe that something, some, uh, you know, even if he has to go, like, to a private prison and, you know, on some island that they'll build for I mean, I, I, I truly believe that they're not going to just let him get away with the crimes if he's convicted on any of these crimes. Uh, that's Trump. But as far as Giuliani, I think he's going to prison. I think Giuliani's done. I think, I think there's no... I think Mike Flynn will go Mike too. Flynn, yeah, I think, you know, and I think even, you know, some of these people taking pleas right now are not done with it because I think right now we're just seeing the main punch because I think there's a rush to, because of the elections, to be able to concentrate on Trump and mo- the cases mm-hmm. are built around Trump. But I, th- I think once that uh, the elections are over, you're going to see indictments flying all over the place. Uh, Rudy's going to get, uh, he's co-conspirator in Washington. He's going to get indicted there again. I mean, it's... You know, once you're oh, in the, the system, Garland, yeah, the Merrick Garland's going to really need yeah, to once you're in the, step up the yeah, game. They're not, they're not. Once you're in there, once you're in that spider web in the DOJ, they don't want to let you go. And I don't think for them to let let these fish go, it would be the biggest black eye. I think it's life or death for both sides right now. Yeah, agreed. Lev, thank you, my brother. Truly appreciate you. Thank you, you. Michael. Brother. Stay safe. Remember. In about a year from now, I haven't been successful in it, but I'm sure you will be because you're not Michael Cohen. You know, I hate to say it. Keep talking out despite the fact that it works against you. Right. Like uh, I've been trying to get off of supervised release. I have 11 months left and so far no luck. Right. Every time that I do something, they try to find something within which to deny. But we'll see what happens this last time. But after a year, you should make your application, too. So, Lev, let me say again, my my brother, brother, thank you. Good seeing you. And we got a lot of work in 2024. Thank you, Michael. Absolutely. Let's keep up the fight. And I wish you a happy new year to you, your family. And I wish you all the best. And may the next, the new year bring us uh, a lot more, you know, power to be able to fight these monsters. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, my friend. 
And now for today's mea culpa. As a nation, we are in some seriously uncharted territory. For instance, ever wondered if Trump can run for office from a prison cell? Legally, Trump would remain eligible to be president even if he's imprisoned. Why? Well, because the framers never saw anything or anyone quite like Trump coming. So nowhere in the Constitution does it say that an incarcerated person can't run. There are no limitations based on character or criminal record. I mean, some states prohibit felons from running for state and local office, but those laws, of course, they don't apply to federal offices. State could pass legislation to keep bad people off the ballot, but it would take years of litigation to define what bad actually means and what crimes would count to disqualify a candidate. And it doesn't seem like the maggots would care if he went to prison anyway. In fact, they would probably think it's fucking cool. The more criminal and outrageous he behaves, the more MAGA fucking loves him. I mean, one weird thing, if Trump is convicted of a felony, he can't vote. Well, not in the state of Florida anyway. Because most felons in Florida ultimately regain voting rights only after completing their full sentence, including parole or probation, and paying all the related fines and fees. Now, even if convicted, Trump wouldn't have time to complete his sentence before Election Day. But if he votes from his home in New York, he can only do so while on parole or probation, but not while in jail. And if he is elected president while in prison, no one knows what's going to happen. Except he could probably pardon and release himself. Or get his attorney general to do it. I mean, we've also talked at length about Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which would and probably should disqualify Trump because he incited an insurrection. But that issue will ultimately be decided by the Supreme Court. And God knows how long it will take or how they will rule. Now, on the bright side, a recent opinion piece in the New York Times, written by my friend Norm Eisen and several others, claims that a Trump conviction could cost him enough voters to tip the election significantly in Biden's favor. If Trump is tried and convicted of any one of the 91 felony charges that he's now facing, there is a mountain of public opinion data that suggests voters would turn away from the former president. With at least three criminal cases set to start next year, it is absolutely entirely possible that Trump will have at least one criminal conviction before November of 2024. And if you ask me, I guess it's going to be the Alvin Bragg Manhattan District Attorney case. Now, according to the Wall Street Journal, in a hypothetical matchup between Trump and Biden, Trump leads by four percentage points. But if Trump is convicted, there is a five-point swing putting Biden ahead 47% to 46%. Now, of course, it's way too early to trust any of these fucking polls. And you know how I feel about polls. But the negative effects of a conviction are likely greater in swing states. Not just because they're the places where a greater number of conflicted voters live, but because some of those states like Georgia and now Michigan are actively prosecuting Trump's attempts to undermine the 2020 election. It will be impossible for voters to ignore the front page news aspect of, say, 
Fonnie Willis's RICO case. Or if Michigan's fake electors are convicted, won't voters wonder why the spear carriers are taking the rap for the king? Well, my theory is that eventually the drip, drip, drip of all of these criminal cases, state and federal, will become a flood and he'll be convicted of something that is real. We just have to hope that when all of this is said and done, voters would rather choose Joe Biden over a convicted felon. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is written by Paula Killen. Our managing producer and editor is Lisa Orkin. Mea Culpa is a Midas Touch podcast, executive produced by the Midas Touch Network and LSJ Media Group. Oh, <laughs>